I'll echo what Joseph said. It is good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for being here. It is great to be able to worship God together with our brethren. Grow closer to each other as we grow closer to Him. And I hope the things that I have to say this morning will help us as we try to grow closer to God and we try to be more like He would have us to be. In the Old Testament, we read about the history of the Israelites, and it was a history of uh, really lack of faithfulness. They over and over again, they they left God. Uh, they uh, they left God in favor of idol worship. They ignored God's instructions, and God struggled with them for for years and years and years. And finally, after a long period of rejecting God. God sends the nation of Judah into captivity, but he tells them when they go into captivity that after 70 years he would bring them out of that captivity and uh, bring them back to their homeland. And in the book of Nehemiah, we read about uh, some of that effort to return out of Babylonian captivity after the 70 years of captivity is complete. And Nehemiah leads one of three uh, groups of captives back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's task once there is to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And he does that and endeavors on this monumental task and does it incredibly quickly and completes the rebuilding of the wall in 52 days around Jerusalem. He does that in the face of a lot of opposition. You remember the name likely Sanballat and Tobiah as they were active in trying to defeat Nehemiah in his efforts to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, beginning of verse 1, we read about one of those instances when Sanballat and Tobiah try to get at Nehemiah and keep him from rebuilding the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 6, let's begin reading of verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Why should the workers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down? Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah knew how important the work he was doing was. And when this proposition was, come and let's meet in the plains of Ono, he said, no, I can't leave this work. I've got more important things to do. Now, they meant to do him harm. There was mischief in their proposition, but... Nehemiah just refused because he knew he had better things to do. I'll tell you this morning that we all have important work to do in this life. This life is about work and about accomplishing what God would have us to accomplish. And we need to be careful like Nehemiah was about leaving that great work and going down to the plain of Ono. This morning, I want to talk about that with you and look at really what are our priorities. Nehemiah had priorities that kept him from leaving that work and going to the plain of Ono. And I'm afraid that I, in my life many times, have gone down to the plain of Ono when I should have stayed at the great work that God would have me to do. And I want to look at that with you this morning. First off, I want to tell you that we need to avoid distractions of the great work that God has given us to do in the work of the church. 
God has given the church great work to do. This work that God has given the church to do is part of God's eternal plan. It wasn't just a last-minute thing that God said, you know, it would be good if there was a church, and while we have a church, there ought to be some things that it's doing. No, God had an eternal purpose in creating the church. One of the works of the church is to be evangelism, in spreading the gospel to the lost around us. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about that. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, we read, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church's purpose, one of the church's purposes, one of the works that the church is to do is in spreading the gospel, teaching us. And the church was doing that in the first century. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but it also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. The church at Thessalonica was active in spreading the gospel because that's a work that God wants the church to be involved in and is in spreading the gospel. Furthermore, the, the church has also been given the task and the work of once converts are made in building those convict, uh, con, converts, not convicts, con, they could have been convicts at one time, hopefully they're converts now, and building those converts up, edifying, edification is the word we use for that. In Ephesians chapter 4 beginning of verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4 beginning of verse 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Once there are converts, once there are Christians, those Christians need to be built up, need to be edified. And the church is responsible for that. And notice the offices that are put in the church for that. The preachers and the teachers. There aren't any social planners or athletic directors. This building up is a spiritual action, a spiritual work to be edifying the saints. And finally, as we've looked at recently in our class on Sunday morning in the book of Acts, we also see another work that the church is authorized to be engaged in, and that is the work of benevolence. In Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 29, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so the church is limited in its actions of benevolence, as we've talked about recently. But the church is to be engaged in benevolence. Those are the three works that we see the church involved in in the New Testament. Three works given to it by God. Three great works. The work of evangelism. The work of edification. And the work of benevolence. And this is part of God's eternal purpose and plan. This great work that He has given the church to do. And we need to be doing it. And we don't need to get the church involved in any other work because this is the great work that God has given it. And we don't need the church to come down on the plane of Ono and be engaged in other things and be distracted by other things. 
Now, there are a lot of great or good things that could be done. But the church hasn't been authorized in those areas. The church isn't authorized to be building hospitals or schools for secular education or sponsoring social events. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2 would tell us that those actions are functions of the home. They were eating their meals at home. The church isn't uh, given the work of putting on athletic events. Athletic events are good and fun, but the church wasn't doing that in the first century. Notice how the preacher B.C. Goodpasture put it. Mark has referenced this quote before, and I think it is very worthwhile for us to look at. B.C. Goodpasture was connected with some churches who would not agree with this now, and I hope you can read that on the screen. If you can't, you can listen along. Here's what he wrote. He said, what then is the mission of the church? The question can be answered both negatively and positively. It is not the mission of the church to furnish amusement for the world or even for its own members. Innocent amusement in proper proportion has its place in life of all normal persons. But it is not the business of the church to furnish it. The church would come off a poor second if it undertook to compete within the institutions established for the express purpose of entertaining people. It would make itself ridiculous if it entered into such competition. Again, it is not the responsibility of the church as such to furnish recreation for its members. A certain amount of recreation is necessary to the health and happiness of the individual. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, it is said, and rightly said. But it is not the function of the church to furnish the play. The church was not established to feature athletics. Rather, it emphasizes the principle that bodily exercise is profitable for a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life which now is, and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Sometimes one would conclude from the emphasis given to recreation that, all, that godliness is profitable for a little, and that bodily exercise is profitable for all things. For the church to turn aside from its divine work to furnish amusement and recreation is to pervert its mission. It is to degrade its mission. Amusement and recreation should stem from the home rather than the church. The church, like Nehemiah, has great work to do. And it should not come down on the plains of Ono to amuse and entertain. As the church turns its attention to amusement and recreation, it will be shorn of its power as Samson was when he, his hair was cut. Only as the church becomes worldly, as it pillows its head on the lap of Delilah, will it want to turn from its wanted course to relatively unimportant matters. Imagine Paul selecting and training a group of brethren to compete in the Isthmian Games. B.C. Goodpasture says the church has important work to do. And we need to remember what that work is. The work of evangelism, edification, and benevolence. A great work. It's what God planned for the church. And we need not be distracted from that great work, as Brother B.C. Goodpasture said, and come down on the plain of Ono. I'll tell you also this morning that God has given us great work to do in our families. Just as the church was not a last-minute thought of God, nor was the family a last-minute thought from God. We go back to the creation 
the creation of the world, and the family was integral in that. It's part of God's plan for, for humans to be part of a family. And as such, he's given the family a great work to do, and we can't be distracted from that great work and come down to the plane of Ono. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, notice this, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. God has given us as parents, specifically here fathers, but mothers are greatly involved in this as well, the task of bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the Old Testament, God enumerated his expectations for parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning of verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Training up our children in what God would expect from them as adults is a monumental task, is a great work that God has given parents. And it's going to take work. It's going to take time with our children. Time when we're present with them, when we're not distracted by our phones or by thinking about other things, but time when we're thinking and focusing on our children and the opportunity that we have with them. In the Old Testament, they were to be talking diligently with their children about God's will and His instruction. They didn't have Technology to distract them in the Old Testament, but they had lots of other things to distract them. The status of their flocks, the status of their fields, things going on down at the synagogue. Lots of things to distract them in the Old Testament as well. And yet they were to be focusing on their children and training them like they should. Are we allowing other things to interfere are we allowing other things to bring us down on the plane of Ono in our work with our children? Is it our career? Is it our hobbies? The things we want to do for entertainment? Our friends, are these things taking away the focus that our children demand, that God is the work that God has given us with our children? Are we allowing these things to interfere? and take our focus away from the work we need to be doing with our children? Are we allowing other goals that we have for our children to interfere with the goals that God has given us with our children? Do we allow our desire for our children's secular education to take the focus away from us training them in God's ways? Do we allow our desire for our kids to fit in with their peers and be popular, take our focus away from the work that God has given us with our kids. God has given us a great work with our kids. And we've got to be careful that we're not distracted from that, that we don't get drawn down to the plane of Ono and away from this great work. You know, we don't have much time left with our kids. It's really a simple math problem when you get down to it. Subtract your kid's age from 18, and that's how much more time you got. Micah turned 13 this week. That's five if you do the math right. It's not much time. None of us have much time with our kids. 
Let's not get down on the plane of Ono. Let's stay focused on that great work. But I'll tell you, it doesn't end there. The work in our families doesn't end with our kids. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. God gives husbands a great work to do with regard to their wives. And that is to dwell with them according to understanding. First, you've got to dwell with your wife. You can't be going one direction. You've got to be together. You've got to be spending time with one another. And you've got to be focused on your wife. You can't allow distractions to get in the way of understanding what your wife needs. We need to be talking, don't we? We need to be observant as husbands as to what our wife's needs are. Ever had your wife unload on you? Let you know how things were? And you might get all worked up and say, well, she shouldn't do that. Well, maybe not. But she shouldn't have to, should she? If we're doing our job as husbands like we should. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Husbands, love your wives as just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. The relationship here between Christ and the church is given to us as a model as husbands of how we ought to be treating our wives. And I fail many times at this. Maybe you can say the same thing. But notice what Christ's goal was and is. It is the church's best interest that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things. When I don't provide for my wife's needs like I should, when I'm selfish, when I allow other things to distract me, when I come away from that great work down to the plain of Ono, I am harming my wife, aren't I? I'm allowing these distractions to cause spots and wrinkles. Christ's goal in serving the church was to present that church a glorious thing without spot or wrinkle. Husbands, we need to focus on our work of providing for our wives' needs so we might prevent the harm that comes in the way when we get distracted from what our goal is as husbands. We've got great work to do. We can't be distracted from that. And women, I can't let you off the hook either. Proverbs chapter 31 a passage that we know as, uh, very well. And those words are small on the screen. You can listen while I read them. You might know them from, by heart. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. 
She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. For her, from her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She exceeds, extends her hand to the poor, yet she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is, yet she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all are in purple is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sets among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Notice how this woman's great work is focused on her family. And so should our wives' work be as well. Notice the, the great diligence and great focus that she has. Women, have you allowed other things to cause you to leave the great work that God has planned for you and the family? Do career aspirations lead us from this focus? Nothing wrong with a woman working but do those career aspirations lead us away from our primary, take our focus away from our family? Does our desire for entertainment distract us from our focus on our family? Does selfishness, women, lead you away from your priority, your great work? Lots of things we could talk about. And we could spend a whole lesson talking about the great work God has planned for us and our families. We need to make sure that we're not distracted from that. We don't go down to the plain of Ono in this great work. And finally, this morning, I'll tell you that God has given us great work in our lives, and we cannot be distracted in that. God has given us clear work to do in His kingdom as Christians. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We must be seeking God's kingdom first. We must be putting God first in our lives. And Paul had this outlook, and it was a simple outlook. He mentions it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul knew that as long as he was living, his focus was going to be on serving Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we have to be out teaching others 24-7, that we've got to be studying our Bibles all day every day, or that we have to be praying every minute of the day from sunup to sundown. But what it does mean is that God has to be the center of our lives, and that we have to be living our lives devoted to Him and doing His will. We've got a lot of distractions in our lives today. A lot of distractions. 
Our lives are very busy. We got something going on all day, don't we? And if we don't have something going on, we quickly look for something to fill the void. We have lives that have full schedules. And those aren't sinful things that we have our lives full of. But are we going down to the plane of Ono in our lives? Are we allowing all of these things to be distractions? Jesus called them thorns in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are, they, are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares. Where are our priorities? You know, the devil's happy. If he can fill up our lives with things that aren't sin, but if he can put so many of those things in our lives that it takes our focus away from the great work that God has called us to do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Are we so busy that we fail to focus on the spiritual? We're not growing like we should because we've got so many distractions in our life. Are we focusing on what's most important? Or have we gone down to the plain of Ono? We're talking about priorities. We need to evaluate our priorities. I need to evaluate my priorities. Hopefully you can see some areas where you can evaluate yours as well. God has given us great work to do in the church, in our families, and in our lives. Let's recommit ourselves to be devoted to that work. What about you this morning? Have your priorities shifted from what's most important? Are you living like you should? If you're not, make up your mind now that you will. And if we can help with that, let us know while we stand and sing.